welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and I am positively pumped to introduce you to our next guest. This guest and I met while making a music video to the hit classic Beverly Hills by Weezer. In his short time on this earth, he's been a performer, a fitness instructor, a teacher, and a true business lady. He's got thick thighs and dreamy eyes. Please welcome to the mic, my favorite witch, Trevor Hennigan. Oh, my queen. Thank you for having me. Ooh, pew, pew, pew. Welcome to the pod. Yeah. I just have to, before we start, uh, interrupt you on your podcast, of course, and just uh, remind your listeners of the first time we ever tried to record a podcast together. We drank three bottles of wine and got so drunk that you had to throw out every piece of footage and not footage, uh, you know, whatever it is that you record mm-hmm. on the podcast. And um, I never, ever, ever want to hear a single minute of what we recorded because I think I would have to lock myself in, in you know, some dungeon far away and, and never leave out of embarrassment. So, a hundred percent. It's one of those experiences where I know it, it felt good for us, but I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> never subject people to the inner workings of our minds, uh, except we're going to do it now. So everybody buckle up. Everybody get ready. Also, this is um, another little insider scoop for the readers. We are recording in the same house in different rooms because uh, I'm almost technologically put together, but not quite. So Ryan is in my childhood bedroom downstairs, and I'm sitting in like that room that becomes your family catch-all once your parents become empty nesters, where it's just full of weird. I'm like looking around this room, and, and I'm, I'm seeing things for the first time and being like, why? Why does this room exist? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just trying on different pairs of Trevor's underwear while we record. Hot. Hot. So hot. Uh, Speaking of things that are hot, um, let's just start where you were born. (laughs) In the the hot, sweaty, southern Oregon town of Roseburg. Oh, wow. Yeah, very warm there. Very warm. Pretty, pretty gross, I would venture to say. It's not a, not a beautiful part of Oregon. Literally, who goes to Roseburg? You drive through Roseburg on your way, like out of town, because you hit that part of Oregon, and you're like, "Oh, this is Deliverance." <laughs> like, and I'm just gonna say it. Like, it's it's something down there. Oregon is so big, and it's hard to describe to people who aren't from here. Um, just how many different versions of the same place you can get. Well, yeah, because like they, but also like when most people think about Oregon, they think about the Oregon trail that they play. So it's like explain to people like, yes, I did get dysentery once and like, like a snake did bite my ankle and then I, I died, but I'm resurrected and I'm here with you now. That was my Oregon trail journey. It's not dysentery. It's IBS. You son of a bitch. (laughs) Okay, listeners, Trevor uh, did suffer from IBS in middle school. Um, and yes, I have always been this awkward and life has been challenging. So, uh, it, and it, you know, it didn't help that you started in Roseburg. And that, yeah, we, we kicked it off. Young parents. My dad was a paramedic firefighter. I think my mom worked at the fire station that my dad was at. And they were the ripe old age of 19. Right? It's so crazy. We have babies as parents. Yes, we do. <laughs> like I think back to things from childhood where I'm like oh man that made me feel weird and then I'm like okay but it was a 25 year old like trying their best literally when I reflect on like I was at my I I have vivid memories of my dad's 30th birthday and my mom threw him 
like a big surprise party at a Mexican restaurant. Um, and I, it was that moment when I started to go to my friend's 30th birthday and the fact that we're going to celebrate your 30th birthday this summer. And I'm like, oh, our parents truly were doing the best that they could. Right? Like I almost ruined my mom's 30th birthday surprise. And I know that. We have memories. Like that's bizarre. When you think back on your childhood, when does it start? Does it like start when you're in Roseburg? Does it start when you move to Hillsboro? It started and we moved to a teeny tiny little coastal town called Florence um, when I was, I mean, I think I started, I started like preschool there. Um, but I, I think I have like a really bizarre memory of kindergarten of like the first time I, I like fell in love with this girl and her name was Tahani. What a name, Tahani. What a name. Yeah. So it, so it's a total side side story, but I think that was my first memory was like having a girlfriend in, in kindergarten. My kindergarten crush was a boy named Peter. A boy. I know. I didn't even know. Oh, it's, it's a, when you're little though, it's a different kind of love. I, I, there were plenty of boys that I was in love with when we were, when we were little, but I just really wanted to be their best friend and touch their butts. Right. It was like, we can just peck kiss a lot I remember doing that a lot like in middle school when I started uh dating the ladies I remember uh I I won't name her to save her but (laughs) um, I remember just like sitting on a couch drinking Mountain Dew and Snapple and like pecking a lot why were you you were drinking Mountain Dew and Snapple yeah that was the drink you like drink half of your like strawberry kiwi uh Snapple and then you poured Mountain Dew in it Oh, you're wild. You've always been crazy and pecking. It's like that. Yeah. And I was like, this is it. That's how I learned. And I still do it that way. Oh, I love that. I'll pe- I would let you peck me. Thanks, babe. Peck, not peg, but I would also let you peg me. <laughs> so back to Florence. Uh, was your sister born in Florence? Uh, she was. Yes. Maybe. Please, Kayla, if you're listening to this, I think she was. No, she was born in. Eugene. She was born in Eugene. So Trevor and I have literally known each other for 15 years. So it's kind of funny to be like, tell me this part of your life fully knowing the answer. Um, <laughs> but this is for the listeners who are this is so for the listeners. about my life. <laughs> um, but you and Kayla were always kind of like a little, little bobsy pair for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, when I reflect back, like I always feel like I liked my sister way more than she liked me that makes sense we've always kind of had that dynamic um and i mean we could unpack that in another two hours like my relationship with kayla but she's she's always been a really tough cookie she's very funny she's very cool she's very independent and hard to read so um but yeah we went through a lot together again our parents were really really young i know you're in your you and your sister can kind of relate to that but um but she's always been my gal little sisters are fun and we're spaced equally from our siblings we're each three years ish apart yeah the, the reason like i think the moment we met and our parents met we've just always been cosmically tied is because we both come from parents who met when they were so young and started their lives immediately we're the same age difference from our sisters and personality wise ryan and i are ryan and i and our little sisters actually are very very similar in in uh, personality and drive we tell the story all the time but uh trevor and i met this is very not an interview. This is just like our story. Uh, <laughs> just really, we'll, we'll get back on track every once in a while. Uh, met at a an arts camp, like I said, making a music video to Everly Hills by Weezer. And mm. 
declared best friendship. It was literally, I don't have a best friend. Do you have a best friend? No. Then can we be best friends? That was it. It was that simple. That was the move. And were you already out at that point? Uh, That was the summer. Yeah, that was like, that was like my big summer. That was my big, my big coming out year was eighth grade right before I started high school. How did you do that? Yeah. (laughs) I have to tell you, as I'm reflecting back on middle school, middle school has been very much on my brain recently. um, Mm -hmm. And I was so young and I was so young. And I, so I came out the summer after eighth grade and um, my best friend, her older sister was a senior and she had a best friend Um, Jordan, who's still in our lives, good friend now, but he was the first boy I ever fell in love with. And I remember seeing him as Rolf in Sound of Music at our high school when I was the middle schooler. And I was like, oh my God, look at that boy. And I, and I fell in love with him. So yeah. So I just realized very early on that I was gay and I had all these wonderful queer people in my life growing up um, and a lot of role models and, you know, my mom's best friends, there's people who were around. And I knew that in my family, it was okay to be gay. So I'm just, I'm, I never sit and and talk about my coming out story and pretend that it's anything like traumatic at all. I have no damage from it. I have beautiful parents who welcomed me and supported me and I had amazing friends. And so my, my, my story with my, my journey is not necessarily a, uh, like some, a tragic gay story, but it's a story that I hope is something more normal for a lot of people moving forward, which is supportive friends, supportive family. And, um, and a lot of love. Yeah, it's, uh, I hope the children now get to just do that whenever they want, but you are an integral part in my coming out story, which was years later because I'm a Christian and I came out at 19. (laughs) Um, But I often, you know, it's part of the story. It's like, oh yeah, my best friend came out when he was 12 and was in our lives. And so it was not like, you kicked down a lot of doors for a lot of people without really realizing it. Um, Thanks for saying that. Which I think is really cool. And you also did it kind of on the cusp of starting your fitness journey too. Oh yeah. You know, uh, yeah. both of us grew up as chunky children. Chunky, thick little mamas. I think this, uh, when I think back on you, was kind of the first, the first concrete time I can remember um, the Trevor Hennigan mentality where you say you're going to do something and the next week it's all you do. And I just want to know if that's how you feel about it. Like, did uh, your weight loss journey in that moment allow you to open up and be like, oh, I'm also this and I'm also that? Or was it like two separate things? That's a great question. And they happened. Um, so I was, it was a, it was like the end of my seventh grade year. So I was at 12 and I was big. I was like almost 200 pounds and I was, I was not a, a tall kid. I'm like five, I was probably like five, six at that time. Um, and I was so sad and I, you know, it's just, I was a sad 12 year old. Right. And I, and I grew up my whole life. I'd been a big kid. So dieting was nothing new for me. Like my parents were, always putting me on diets and, and it's not their fault. I was just, I was so bullied when I was growing up on the coast that I, um, I didn't want to go play at recess. And so I would stay in the cafeteria and eat everybody's leftovers. That's a true story. Um, and my parents just didn't know what to do because 
they could, you know, they couldn't fix anything because all the, all the eating and the unhealthy habits were happening when I was at school. So cut to, you know, seventh grade and I'm almost 200 pounds. And I just had this moment, you know, my dad's always been incredibly fit and he's a firefighter and a police officer and was on the SWAT team. And he always had a gym set up. And I feel like Ryan, did you ever have this moment where the first time you looked in the mirror and, um, and realized you were fat? Yeah. Like, do you remember that being little? Cause I, I just have this distinct memory of looking in the mirror and being, having a concept of what it meant to be overweight. And I remember looking in the mirror and being like, Oh, you're fat. And then that narrative sparked <laughs> this journey of being bullied and being overweight. And I was swishy. So I was like this fat little gay boy. And it was, anyways, we're, so we're going into high school now. And I remember knowing that the next school year I was going to be in high school. And I literally just looked at my dad on New Year's Eve one year. And I said, I don't want to be the fat kid in high school. And it was the first time that I clicked into something big for myself and put my mind to something and said I was going to do something. So I did it. And I lost almost 70 pounds with the support of my father who helped me make lunch every single day for school and drug my ass out to that little garage gym every day after school. This is before, you know, we had activities and stuff. So my activity was working out with my dad five days a week. And, um, and I don't, I don't really remember that journey, but all of a sudden I went into high school and I'd lost 70 pounds and I had come out. I had this new, I was a new person. Truly full transformation. Yeah. I'm thinking about that moment when I realized I had lost control of my body and I think it came in twofold. Um, my freshman year, I came in doing a little bit of everything. So I played soccer and I was in the marching band and, um, that like kind of jump into high school was a lot because you do, uh, if you're playing a sport, you do daily doubles. So you have practice twice a day and we also were having marching band practice. So my like physical activity leapt to like an insane amount. I just remember being constantly tired and dropping a lot of weight and uh having people recognize that I dropped a lot of weight because like I, again up until that point I was not aware that my body was any different we're little kids you don't have an awareness or a vocabulary for that you're just this is my body <laughs> and then I remember years later this is like junior year of high school and we're in a theater class and for some reason we were talking about type and our uh, teacher pointed me out out of nowhere I remember sitting next to uh, Avery Sage and he was like our teacher was like oh Ryan will never play the leading man oh man based off of uh, my build well that's where it starts and I remember Avery going to bat for me um, as she does Um, but yeah those two moments were very like oh I'm different yeah I guess (laughs) <laughs> and it's and it's funny because what you know what we just said is we've always been very fit people we work out a ton and you don't eat junk food you cook all the time it's just so funny bodies like we just didn't talk about bodies and and genetics and and the way we're built and what it, what does it mean to be fit what does it mean to be active and that relationship and our weird relationship with body image started with theater and moving yeah. the kinds of programs we did, but it started. Yeah, it's just we. <laughs> I, I I think because of our theater background and the way that the way we talk about people's bodies and put each other into boxes, 
and tie someone's worth and ability to the shape of their body and then monetize it and make it part of your business, your brand. Like it's so, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. It's just, it just becomes all consuming. Yeah. Like my, my memories, I'm almost 30 and yes, I'm working in the fitness industry, but it's been so hard. My relationship with my body, um, and fitness because it, it's all tied back to third grade when I was put on a diet for the first time. So for almost 30 years, I've always been on a diet or always been trying to reach a goal to make my body look different than it did. And so then, you know, you get into a theater program and it, then you add ability and capability. So suddenly like my ability to get a job or play a role or be successful was tied to the way my body looked. Yeah. There's this big jump from theater. Cause if you look at it from the outside, like, theaters for the weird kids it's this community of like weird kids that are all the misfits loud and fun and love and i can't i have rehearsal sweatshirt love those and then there becomes this switch yeah where you decide that you have to become a machine Mm -hmm. um and yeah i guess that that carries us through uh both of our college bfa experiences and and before we even get there rye we didn't spend so like we were not prepared because we did we 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 got into great college programs coming from a suburban theater smell of hillsboro working we had a great theater program right but we, but all of a sudden we went to college and we were in environments with people who spent every summer since they were 6 at stage door or went to interlochen or went to all these insane arts camps where that's where it started for them. And so they showed up and they were little like pre-Broadway machines. And I was like, wait, what? I felt so behind. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I knew that I had this intense drive that I still have, but I all of a sudden was, it was kind of like when I realized my body was different than other, other people, you know, I mean, we went to public school, you live around the same people you go to school with. So you're kind of all in the same economic land Mm -hmm. and landscape. Um, we briefly touched outside of that when we got to go to our theater camp, which was not at all like an interlocking or a stage door, but uh, we thought it was. <laughs> okay, you guys, the day that Ryan and I got told we were accepted into this theater camp, which is this program is one of those magical things that happened in the Portland area for kids in theater. You would have thought we booked a Broadway show. I still think I am more proud of getting in to the Young People's Theater Project than I would be if I booked a Broadway show. It was one of the best days of our lives. Never have I ever overprepared so much. <laughs> more truly, more, Ryan and I could have booked a Broadway show with how prepared we were to get into the theater arts camp. God, really all we had to do was show up and smile and be warm and empathetic and kind and sing. Isn't that really what you have to do now as a grown-up? You know what? Be kind. You would be that easy. You know, sometimes it could be. It, uh, great, great. That's a great, you know, coming out of, anyways, you keep, I'm going to stop driving the conversation. You keep going. I have a lot of feelings about that. (laughs) Um, so I want to know how you started, uh, so you, you started working out with your dad and then you go to school, you get your BFA, you have success as an actor. Um, it's hard to like see from being inside of it, but you were successful And then you start doing the thing that I find the most admirable is this like 
Trevor Hennigan pivot where you just like have had six or seven full careers <laughs> in uh, a blink of an eye. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. The, like what that's it's I'm 28. So that was like five years. Yeah. Five or six years. Um, so yeah. So I, I guess the first big pivot I made, I, I moved back to Portland and to do a show, I decided I was going to stay, um, and my stay in the Portland area that is for a little bit. And I got an agent out here and it was cool. I did a couple commercials and did some modeling stuff. Um, and, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot, a lot. Um, but I I have a wonderful ex-boyfriend, Daniel, who, um, is the owner of an amazing Pilates studio out here. And I was working at the front desk of the studio when I was back in Portland after college and, and I was seeing all the amazing work, like the healing that was happening with clients. And it was the first time I saw teaching as something that, that I could do. And I was like, I know I'm a good teacher. And, and also these people are making many teaching fitness, right? In these, in these one-on-one settings. So um, my dad and I actually did it together, which will start a theme of my life as my dad and I do everything together. Um, but we, we got our... And I stayed for two years in Portland and got my my Pilates certification. And um, in that, I also, there was a, Ryan, do you remember there's a show on Bravo called Workout New York? Yes. Okay, which is funny because we come full circle because now I'm, you know, ending my time in New York City, my career, and a lot of those fitness instructors who were on that show, that was the first time I'd ever really seen the group fitness world. And it was like all the, all the, drama of group fitness instructors like pre the boom like pre soul cycle boom and uh and i was looking at people teaching on the show and i was like i can do that i can teach group fitness so i just went into a studio in portland and i was like i saw your machine on a show called workout new york and i would love to learn how to use it so i just said i just saw it on tv and i was like i could go to new york and i could teach and this was like all the commentary in the back of my head in the way my brain works. And I was like, what is my plan? Like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to be a fitness instructor and that's how I'm going to pay the bills. Um, and that started, that's what I did. Right. So then, um, because there was still this, like, I'm going to move to New York. Oh, because I had to, all my friends were there. You were there. All my friends from college. I wasn't done. Like I had an agent out here and I was booking stuff and I was teaching and I was like, okay, it's time. So I just had a day and I bought my one way ticket to go, um, I will never forget the day I moved to New York City. Um, and it was the one-way ticket that I booked and I didn't tell anyone. And and I flew to you, right? I just, I flew right to New York City and I packed my bag and it feels like, like at the start of your movie, of your life, right? When all of a sudden, like the really intense music starts and and your life starts, that is what I feel like when I landed in New York City after being in Portland and was ready to all of a sudden like put into place all the pre-work. Like I had this BFA musical theater. I had an, a resume. I was going to go act. I had all these certifications. I'd put in my time. And like now it was time for my life to start. And that was November 16th, 2016. Wow. Yeah, because you kind of, you set yourself up. You had been working in restaurants through school and you were like, okay, I don't really want to do that. Um, I have this passion and then I'm just going to, do that while I pursue a, a parallel career in acting and kind of just see how it goes. Yeah. And that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single, I didn't go to a single audition, Ryan. It's hard. It's hard. I didn't, when I reflect, did I? Uh, 
I did. I never did it. I like. I think you auditioned I, more your senior year of college when I lived in New York. Yeah, than... I was in New York every weekend. Yeah. Yeah, but I just uh, I moved to New York City, and then my my priorities changed. Yeah, you had to live. You had to eat. Oh, that's that crazy thing when you go and you're like, oh fuck, I like, I have to hustle. Yeah. And then you get three jobs, and then you can't afford to do anything. <laughs> You're like, I would just really like to nap right now. I just, yeah, I don't want to go sing. Um, so you're, you're a fitness man. You are in the city. You um, start teaching, and then you take a brief uh, sidestep into the startup world. Oh, my God. What a time. <laughs> yep. So we have a great friend, Chloe, um, who was on another episode of this podcast, and I, I miss you and I love you. Um, and and I, I had launched an at-home um rowing platform, mm-hmm. um, a company that I loved dearly. Um, and I'd been there for two years in New York city and I'd been working in fitness and I was also teaching Pilates and I, I was, I had been in that fitness household for a minute. And, um, and I also had a restaurant job on the side. Like I was just doing too much and I was burned out and they couldn't pay me. So I left, I was like, you know what? I'm done with fitness right now. I'm done teaching. I'm going to go take this opportunity to work with our friend Chloe in sales at this tech startup. And that was another big moment in chapter in New York City that started to snowball. I just remember you showing up at the apartment in like a look. It was like a long tan jacket. And mostly I had seen you in fitness clothes for two years. And you were like, this is it. I'm changing my life. And it might just like appear like that to me because I just have a hard time changing gears a lot. But from the outside, it always seems like you're just like game to do something else. Yeah, I um, it's I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, because it's turned into, you know, when you we're getting old enough that you start to look at moments like that, and I'm like, I I have that moment a lot, which means this is a part of my personality, <laughs> and and why am I like that? Yeah, um, and I was thinking about it. Also ties into things that I moments in my life that I'm not super proud of, um, where on the, in, to me, it looked like I was shifting gears and to the, and and that I was like ending a chapter in my life and, and moving on. And I sometimes think that I'm too good at switching gears mm-hmm. and I don't always think about the collateral damage of making a change that I'm ready to make quickly, but the people around me aren't ready to acknowledge. And I think about that when I left our apartment, right? When Mm -hmm. I just decided I didn't want to live there anymore. Um, And I just left. And I've thought about that in the way that's happened with jobs or just moments in my life where to me, it's like, nope, I'm unhappy. This isn't working. I need to make a change. And everyone else around me is going, okay, bye. Yeah. And like, that's, so I've, I've, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm, I'm realizing that while I am game to make changes, I and I love that about myself, I'm also starting to see the patterns of, was I game to make changes or was, was I running away from something? No, I mean, I think it really ties into the titular question of the pod, so I'm just going to ask you. To me, uh, I think you are hilarious and charming and driven and uh, stubborn and quick to make changes and uh, difficult and exciting. And basically my, you're my whole world. 
I'm just interested to hear why you think you are like this. Um, I, is it okay if I talk about grad school? You can talk about anything you want to talk about. So I, 2020 happened and, um, I have spent the last two years working on the soul cycle at home bike. Right. So after my startup, I left and I got this exciting new job with Soul, and it turned into their whole at home now at home mega moment. Right. So like I'm sitting in a room next door to the bike that I helped design and launch and I got this amazing job and I was managing talent and I was working in the industry and I, it was showbiz. Right. So I'm like on set every day and I'm casting and I'm I was having so much fun at work. But my life outside of work, I was hanging out with people who weren't healthy for me. Because, Ryan, how often do we see each other in New York City? Less than we see each other when we're in Hillsborough. Less than we see each other now, which is a crazy thing that happens in New York. The people that I talk to post-pandemic are not the people that I was spending time with in New York. And so I'm, I'm just reflecting. So bear with me. I'll get somewhere. But I'm reflecting back. And I'm like, I wasn't spending time with healthy people. I was constantly running to warehouses in Brooklyn to do drugs and forget my name and get validation from hot gay men who paid attention to me for a night. Like I felt like I had all these disco boyfriends that would make me feel really, really good on the weekends when I didn't know where I was. And I didn't have to think about them when I went to work during the week, but they were always there. And I start to look at these patterns. So like work was going really well. I was really proud of what was going on at work, but my life outside of work was gross. And I was so sad and you and I weren't talking and I wasn't seeing anybody. And my anxiety level was through the fucking roof. And it took a global pandemic, like I think a lot of people are having. And I came home and I was only supposed to be home for a week, right? And I came home and I got to be quiet. And I got to sit in my childhood bedroom and look around and truly just ask myself, like, not in a like, what are you doing? But just sit like, what are you doing, Trev? And I am thinking about all these career switches and my fast changes and my fast changes. And I realized like I was running away from my body insecurities working in the fitness industry. I was running away from relationships. I was running away from friendships. I was running away from anxieties. And I turned myself into a wrecking ball, just a full wrecking ball. And I don't. I will never look back on my time in New York City, which has now come to an end officially this week. Um, I will never look at it with anything but elation and giggles and laughs and and the tears and like the bad times. Like I, you grew. Like everybody should move to New York City and have your heart broken and and do weird stuff. But um, but I think the way that I am and what you've expressed so beautifully about how you you treasure those things about me, in my eyes, I look and I'm like. They're, they've got me to where I am, so I can't regret it. But, but I was running away from so much and I needed to grow up. And so that's, so I say, why am I the way that I am right now in this minute is because we had a pandemic and I got to be at home with my family and recognize that the per I didn't really like the person that I've been the last four years and I love him. I love him. And I'm, going to hug him and and write about him and bring all of Trevor's 20s into moving forward but I needed to grow up um and I that's what I'm trying really hard to do <laughs> right now great job I think it's 
admirable to take that time and to look at how you've been doing things and how you want to do things moving forward. I think this year has allowed a lot of people to do that as we've seen yeah. countless friends of ours make big changes in love lives and careers and locations, just taking the stock and being able to say, okay, what is important? What isn't important? Again, we come from deciding that we were going to be stars yeah. at 15 and then running like a kid with scissors. We just went. And then you, you fall on them at some point, you know, like I talk about it a lot, but I got lucky ish that my trauma that brought me home for six months happened the year before this pandemic because I got to take my six months at home, do that same introspective moment, see what was working, what wasn't, and then move back to the city because that's where I truly thrive and want to be as opposed to this like there's this weird thing where when you go to theater school or you go yeah I guess when you go to theater school where it's like if I didn't move to New York why did I do that yeah yeah if I didn't move to New York so-and-so's third cousin is going to think less of me for some reason like I I failed I was mm -hmm. this was my dream it's all you know it, and so how do we, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, I don't care. No, we're always going to care because when you stop caring, then you've let yourself down. Mm -hmm. So, but it's that switch from recognizing that Ryan, you're now there doing this for yourself. You're not doing it for other people. You don't care what I think about you. You don't care what your parents think about you. You know, you, the, you know, the people who know you love you no matter where you're doing what you're doing, but you've, for the first time as your friend, this is the first time I've seen you say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just there cause I want to be there. And I love hearing that. And, you know, I'm always selfishly just going to request that we're in the same place always just cause knowing that you're down the street, whether we see each other or not makes me feel more comfortable. But a lot of that was always just cause we, we feed off each other, but this is for the first time I've seen you just like really fucking stand on your feet. And, you know, it's a far cry from when I, when I think about, before you left and there was a day that I went and, you know, met you before you moved home and we were both pretty broken and we sat and I bought you a, a wrap and we held hands and we cried at a table together. And when I remember like that was like 12 and 13 year old Trev and Ryan at a table, like that was the most us that I think we ever were together in New York. Yeah. It was just a minute where we were like failing and feeling really broken together in the middle of where we, is that like outside union square we were in, but I think about that a lot is that like, I, I look forward to us being able to have those more honest moments now. Well, cause you have that moment where people who you can't, uh, we can't trick each other. No, just, there's <laughs> just certain people you can't trick. Yeah. I still have not come back to that chopped. I'm sure there's a, a photo of me somewhere that says, don't let this bitch in. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just think, it's a common theme as I ask people why they are the way they are um, that this year has brought time for people to like really think about it and really yeah. decide who you want to be moving forward. Yeah. What a gift. And there's a lot. Of, and I don't say that and like, Oh, what a gift, right? Like that's gross. There's, 
a lot of people hurting. But what I keep reminding people who are, you know, my friends who reach out, I'm like, never again in our adult lives will we have the opportunity to just be so quiet. Mm -hmm. So like, just be quiet, like embrace. If you are safe and in a position where you're okay, it's okay to be okay. Just as much as okay to be not okay. But like, you know, tell me about it, Jesse J. Yes. Thank you, Jesse J. I'm sitting in this, sitting in this big red room alone. This is how you book. Yeah, this was actually an audition. Thank you. Just to, you know, Trevor Hennigan transition out of that. Um, <laughs> can we talk about boys? Yes. Yeah, I miss them so much. Oh, God, wow. boys. I want to talk about your uh, consistent ability to fall in love with someone you met the day before. Oh, God. That's annoying. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about that. Everybody knows about that. If you've met me, you know I fall in love. I don't fall in love. I don't fall in love until like three weeks later. And then they're like, well, please don't do that. We're friends. Okay, but let's also talk about falling in love in New York because they're very different things. It's, yes. So I thrive on meeting people. And it's just what, I I don't even know what to say about falling in love in New York City. New York made me fall in love, right? With any person I met, I would go on a date and I'd fall in love with them. Because you have a lot of bad dates, but you, New York City also brings you some of the most enigmatic, bizarre, cool, beautiful, annoying people that you will ever meet in your life. And I had so much good sex in New York City. And I had so much weird sex in New York City. And I had so much like everything in between. It's just like what you do. And then I, I just love to fall in love, which is funny because I've been single for two and a half years. But that's not, it's different than like, I've fallen in love with a lot of boys in the last two years. I just haven't, you know, been in a relationship in a long time. Which is, you know, totally chill. That's someone who has never had a boyfriend. They're overrated. And um, Mike, if you're listening, I love you very much. You're a big part of my New York story. But um, I'm not good at having boyfriends. I'm a fucking mess. I am a bundle of, and it's not sexy, right? Because I'm self-conscious all the time. Poor Mike didn't stand a chance because I was just a mess our entire relationship. So I was like, that was the first, that breakup, I was like, oh, Trevor, you got some work to do. We got to think about this. Well, it's funny. You talk about dating in New York and like just the, the effort to put together a date in New York. My God. Makes you fall in love with people because you're like, well. I spent three weeks trying to meet you for coffee. I really worked for this one. So it has to, you have to be the one. There has to be no other. Also, the winter months are coming, and if and I'm looking for somebody to keep me warm uh, through the the many nor'easters. So, like, please be the one, just so we can, you know, watch movies, and I don't have to cuddle with my roommate's dog. Right. So there's there's like the effort to get there, but then there's also this thing that I think lurks in uh, a lot of gay boys' minds, especially in New York, but I'm sure in plenty of other cities, where no matter what there is the option to find someone a little bit better. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Like just blanket. Yes. And that's, I feel like that's something just date. I'm sure heterosexual couples or just, I'm not going to say that. I'm sure couples of, of all couples. Um, and kind of the same thing is it's like one, we're self-conscious, but two, you can scroll for someone better. You it's, you know, the Tinder thing, like somebody can always be swipe left, swipe left and swipe right. And, um, in New York, somebody will always make a little bit more money. Someone will always be a little bit more handsome. Someone will always be a little bit more charming. Somebody's Instagram will be a little bit cooler. Nobody's a better kisser than I am. So I always have people beat on that, but 
but yeah, so it's such a weird, just such a weird thing. It's just dating in your twenties and thirties these days. Yeah. It's very like empowering to know that I could always find someone better, but then it's also like awful to internalize. Yeah. So like, they could find someone better than me, like from the start. We are not victims, right? I don't also want to paint this picture like, oh, it's been super hard. Like I'm an angel and like it's hard. No, I'm also an asshole. Like yeah. I also struggle to meet people because, you know, I've been a flake. Oh my God, I've been a flake. I've not texted people back. I've, you know, ghosted. There's like, this is karma. Dating karma in 2020 is real. And if and anything bad happens, I, I never can sit and feel sorry for myself because I'm like, I have 110% done this to somebody and probably been worse. And I know that I have said I don't have a boyfriend and haven't, and that might seem sad to you, but I just want the readers to know that I can catch a dick whenever I want and often do. You call me with the weirdest, wildest story that I'm not going to talk about because I know our moms are probably listening, but like Ryan would call me and be like, you'll never believe where I am. And then I'd be like, whatever. And then he texts me and you're like, you're right. I would never have guessed that. <laughs> How did you get yourself there? What Aren't you at work right now? <laughs> It's a wild ride. Yeah, I'm still I'm still waiting on food for table thirty, so I took a trip. <laughs> like the burgers were really slow, and they wanted their steak really really well done, so I had an extra ten minutes. So I just walked outside. Okay, but also you can meet boys like that in New York City. I have snuck away in the middle of work days to go like have a little rendezvous, and nobody's noticed. Yeah, because you just have mandated breaks, and there are just people everywhere, and you're always you don't have to drive anywhere. You know, like my office was in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. Hello. Oh God, I miss, I miss pre-pandemic New York. Yeah, I'm feeling a little nostalgic right now sitting. I'm, again, Ryan and I are sitting a room away from each other and I'm just like looking at the ceiling like, oh boys. I also haven't like, I have truly been a nun. Oh yeah, I haven't touched a boy since February. Nope, like I met this really, really wonderful boy on Tinder. He was an Alaskan fisherman, which if anybody knows me, he, <laughs> that's an Alaskan fisherman. Um, and we did like the COVID testing and, and got a house and met each other. And it was wonderful. But talk about a lot of work. I was like, this literally took months to prepare for this meeting. And I, I felt all sexy. I rode my motorcycle out there and we met and had a nice romantic little weekend. And I was like, that was, that was a lot of effort to meet somebody. He's wonderful. And we had a blast. But But like, that's where we're at. Like if I want to go on a date right now, I'm living at home with my parents. My dad's a frontline worker and you know, my mom has to go into work everyone's. So I'm like, I cannot go catch a dick downtown and then bring COVID back into my house. Like that's selfish and dangerous. Right. It's like this whole layer of other stuff to just say like, hi, my name is Trevor. I'll literally go on a coffee date and feel safe. I'm like, yes, Tinder. Oh my God. I've, I've loved our quippy little conversations on Tinder. Unfortunately, I'm going to, I hope you have health insurance because if you want to meet, I'm going to have to ask you to go get your nose swabbed. I'm going to need you to send me your COVID results. Um, I'll do the same. Um, and yeah, and then we can be like, nah, totally just like walk and like talk and get to know each other. But first, please explain to me your medical history. Before we even say hello. Yeah, before I even sit in, literally in a room with you. So I've just kind of written it off like this is the year for me. This is the year for me and my self-exploration. But I'm afraid I'm enjoying being alone a little too much because I'm not really wanting to go meet people. <laughs> It'll come back around. I mean, you felt alone, so you got a dog yesterday. You know, like <laughs> my baby. It'll all it'll all work out. Okay, so now that we are nearing the end of our time together, um, forever. And for, uh, I, this like this is a BB. This is it. Um, I ask all my guests this questions, but do you have any questions for me? 
Yeah. Let's um, do it. It's a big question. Um, what you're going to be mad at me. What are you scared of, Ryan? I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of being alone, not in a romantic way, but in a just like physically alone way. Yeah. And I'm scared of uh, recently on this trip home, I'm very scared of chickens, but I don't know if that's just like, I haven't been at home in a long time or if that's like a forever. <laughs> Is it because you're, you're, moment. you're, tr- you're looking at my back window currently downstairs and triggered by the mm-hmm. hens running around? I just feel like they're following me. Um, I've been places where there shouldn't be chickens on this trip home and they're there. <laughs> Y'all, if you ever come to Oregon, there are just chickens around. Everybody's an urban chicken farmer, and I'm like, okay. Well, I wonder if it's one of those situations where in, like, Florida, you go and people release their gate. Like, they try to have pet gators, and then they, like, flush them down the toilet, and you have just, like, monster gators. People, like, try to be urban chicken chicken farms, and it doesn't work out, so they release them into the wild. So now, or, like, if you go to the Oregon Zoo, there's peacocks, just Mm -hmm. loose. So we have just, like, loose chickens. Loose peacocks are mean, too. I don't know why we were like, yeah, look at it go. I want to be described when people are like, what's Trevor like? You know, I want them to say, you know, he's a, <laughs> he's a loose peacock. That he's one. He's a loose peacock. He's a loose peacock. I, I think that's an apt description for you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in uh, with you a little bit further. How, yeah, how you, so you, you went back to, I'm going to talk about Ryan for a second. Ryan came mm-hmm. home and fucking nailed some quiet time pre pandemic. Ryan did like the work the rest of us waited to the pandemic to do last year, um, which you've all heard about throughout his podcast. But then he went back to New York city and like had this new life and this plan and this vision board and was diving in and the pandemic hit about a week and a half later. Mm -hmm. Um, so how are you fighting those fears that you started to conquer at home? What are you doing to keep momentum for yourself and how have you been keeping momentum during this time in your apartment in New York city? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think a lot of it stems from, um, so being a theater artist, uh, and being young, I had a very small idea of how and when I could be creative and thought that it was given to me, Mm -hmm. um, not something that I could create myself. Um, and that came from a lot of things. It came from um, the art of acting is a lot of times interpreting somebody else's created world and bringing it to life, right? Yeah. Um, which is a skill and beautiful and something I love to do. And then there's this thing that we've talked about where you get in and what type are you? Who are you? What is this? If you fit outside of it, we don't know what to do, but you yeah. are paying us to get a theater degree. So we are going to tell you, create your own work. Look at Mindy Kaling. Look at um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Look at all these people who I do really, truly admire, but we're kind of used in a way to give teachers an out, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and create a chip on my shoulder. Um that stifled a lot of things that make me a unique and interesting artist. Yeah. Um, I think I do have a really unique take on the world. I think 
I have a fun grasp on humor that um, I should share with people. Um, I think musically, these are all things that I just had to, I had to come to on my own. Yeah. Um, because I would not say that my artistic upbringing was always uh, super inclusive. It, it yeah. always kind of felt like I'm going to do it because I know I need to do it, but I didn't really feel like I had anybody who was quote unquote superior to me also on that team. Yeah. Um, so when I came home and I did the work, that was, that was part of it, right? It was like, okay, what are the things that I like to do and how can I make them and do them because I make them and I like them. Yeah. So I came back and through that artist night that we had, that was really great. And then, um, pandemic hit and then, yeah. uh, and I, I'm very fortunate. I live with a house of creatives, um, but we all have very different styles of when creativity comes to us. Yeah. Um, I like to tell myself on Tuesday at 10, I'm going to write <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Um, sweet baby Sean gets struck by lightning and writes three songs in the middle of the night. Um, He's so Andy is, Andy is a dancer and uh, hasn't been able to really flex that in a while, which must suck. And uh, Luke is a beautiful piano player who's like taking a transition into cybersecurity. So it's like... Ain't that the way? <laughs> ain't that the way? And the way that we can keep moving is uh, every once in a while we get together and work for a few hours on a music video esque thing, and yeah, it keeps us going. And I think it's been helpful. I mean, I've also been able to book my first commercial <gasps> national commercial this national year. commercial. Like literally, Ryan. I joke all the time. Like ryan's been hustling 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 in new york city and then all of a sudden a global pandemic hits nobody can get work but ryan books a national commercial and books an agent in the middle of the pandemic like the, if ever there was a more ryan andrews statement like there there is no other that is the perfect little embodiment of how you tackle life and like things happen for you in very unconventional ways but that's not Always. just luck that's you know that's hustle yeah, I think, thank you. And yeah, I appreciate it. And I, I do really think it comes from that time I got to spend at home. Um, yeah. Because I could easily have been just sitting at home and mad that everything was closed and drunk because I had nothing to do. You know, which would, uh, two years ago, would have been what I did. I would have sat at Correct. home, I would have been grouchy. I would have been drinking a bottle of whiskey a day. Mm -hmm. um, that's not really an exaggeration at all. It's just, it was what my life was. And so I think taking that time to get things on track allowed me to see this shutdown as just another thing I can work within the parameters of, yeah. as opposed to um, a like closed, locked door, do not pass go. I, th I like the way you frame that about it. this whole situation being just, you know, for us, some new parameters to work within and you kind of, you can let it happen to you or you can participate, right? You can just engage the time, which I think you've done. You've said, you know, okay. And what can I do within this time that still feels like steps forward? And I think you're, 
I think you're doing that. I see you doing Thanks, that. Beep. Yeah, I'm beep. Trying. Well, it's it's you know it's interesting. We have friends at various levels of their career in this entertainment industry. It's like we have friends who were on Broadway and got there, and that's gone. And it's like what? And then yeah, there are people like me who are still up and coming, and the opportunity is gone which yeah. from my perspective hurts more but you know that's just mine um we have kids from you know who are still running with blinders who are graduating with bfas who have nowhere to go it's very yeah it's interesting and i think it's really going to shape art for the rest of our mm-hmm. life oh yeah i i get fired up on the inside when i i love when people talk about the roaring twenties and I thought it was silly when we started the year, like at new year's, everyone's like roaring twenties. We're like, shut up. But now like, that's how it feels. Like that's what the future looks like is explosion um, of people who have been sitting in their homes for months ready to show whatever I, I like to daydream about being the opportunity for everyone to show what they've been working on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. See where we go. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Yeah, BB, thanks for having me. I always love talking to you, and I'm really glad that we weren't wasted. I know it's so nice that we're going to be able to remember this one. I'm going to, I'm going to want to remember this conversation. <laughs> where can the kids find you? Uh, they can find me. I'm not. I, you know what? I am boring. I'm about to be a teacher, so I am locked down on social media. Um because 2020. So you don't worry about it. You can just send me an email at trevorjhannigan at gmail.com if you'd like to connect or um, find me on Tinder. And we can can get COVID tested and I'll see you in three months. What a dream. All right. Well, I love you so much. Thanks for joining us. I love you too, friend. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. 